Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 2 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. You may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing in our study of the second epistle general of Peter. And we have already in this portion of God's Word seen the math chapter of the Bible. We see there in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, Verses 2, 5, and 9, multiplication being the grace and peace be multiplied, addition, add to your faith, and subtraction purged from his old sins. So those sins being taken away. And so in Second Peter, uh, what we're looking at is we're looking at Jesus Christ being portrayed as our strength. We've seen the uh, Christian virtues in chapter 1, and we've seen the Christless teachers in chapter 2. In our commentary of chapter 2, with the assistance of uh, H.C. Mears and what the Bible is all about, uh, her writing here is this, the false teachers of today do just what is told in Second Peter. First, they privately bring in damnable heresies. They do it in a subtle way. They don't believe in the deity of Christ, that is, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, was actually God. Peter describes the damnable heresy they bring in, and this is it. They deny the Lord that bought them. It doesn't say that they deny the Lord that taught them. It says uh, they deny the Lord that bought them. They don't deny the Lord that brought them or taught them, but the Lord that bought them. Practically every false religion acknowledges Christ as some sort of a great teacher, but they will not accept him as Savior. The one who bought us with his own precious blood, that is Jesus Christ, he is Savior. And of course, the world, those who are false teachers in the world, those who don't even proclaim that they're false teachers or teachers, but they still deny the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, when you go to the hospital, or at least in my case, when I've gone to the hospital or my wife has gone to the hospital, they always seem to want to do a number of blood tests on me. They want to uh, check my blood. They want to know at what level is my cholesterol, at what level uh, is my sugar, etc. Well, quite honestly, for us to know if a teacher is faithful and truthful, or a teacher is a false teacher, if a prophet is faithful and truthful, or a false prophet, we need to give them a blood test. 
Now, it's not a blood test in the sense of the hospital's physical blood test, but this is a spiritual blood test. It's a mark by which to test and reject the false teacher if they do not accept the blood atonement of Jesus Christ as being sufficient for sin's salvation, for the forgiveness of sin, then we see that they have failed the blood test. You ask for credentials of teachers who are everywhere that you can find them today. When any teacher of the Word of God or pretending to be a so-called Christian teacher, if they do not put the cross of Christ at the center of their teaching, beware. Flee from them, run from them, turn from them. Our redemption is in the blood. Jesus bought us with his precious blood, and so we have to know the blood test. There's some other tests we can use, too. That is the first one, and Immediately, you know to reject those false teachers that can't pass the blood test. There's also a popularity test, however. It's not saying that all teachers who are popular are uh, false teachers, fake teachers, false prophets. But the Bible teaches that these false teachers are popular. In chapter 2, verse 2 of Second Peter, it says, Many shall follow their pernicious ways. So then don't think it strange that scores of false prophets and false teachers and false ways and cults are in the world today. Peter said they would be there. And it makes them admit that they're sinners. They only want to be taught, not bought. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of. It continues there in verse 2. All of these false teachings talk about truth, but they forget that Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John fourteen six. Jesus Christ is not just part of the truth. He is truth. He's not a way shower. He is the way. He does not come to show us how to live. Jesus Christ himself is life. So we've got a popularity test. We've got a blood test. Now we've got a vocabulary test. In verse 3 of chapter 2, 2 Peter, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. Words mean very little in false religions. In these cults, they give a new meaning to different words, to words that we use in Christian parlance. In Christian conversation, we use the same words, but they have different meanings when they use them. They say they believe in everything, but when we ask them what they mean by it, it's far from what Scripture says. They keep the form of words, but they pump the meaning out of the words. It's like an egg. You can put holes in either end and blow out everything that's inside the egg. The form of the egg is there, that is the shell. But the real substance, the uh, very food of the egg, is gone. 
Christ said that men would even say, Lord, Lord, but he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Words mean absolutely nothing unless there is heart in their meaning. You have known and I have known people who have claimed the name of Christ but lived like the devil's own children. The question is, did the fact that they were claiming the name of Christ mean anything to them? Were their words meaningful? The answer is no. The Apostle Peter added the phrase, make merchandise of you. This is showing that the false religions, the false teachers, that they prey upon the people for money. You can't be healed unless you pay. You can't receive cleansing unless you pay. A practitioner demands a price. God says we may come to him without money and without price. Isaiah 55 is very clear about that very thing. There's only one thing that God has purposed to do to these false teachers and false prophets, and that is to destroy them. Peter declares with no uncertain sound that the end of false teachers who cover themselves with the cloak of the church shall be destroyed. And you see that in verses 3 through 9 of chapter 2. There is a saying that many have given over the years that light that is trifled with becomes lightning. Certainly, the truth cannot be trifled with by the false teachers. We know that whatever this judgment is and whatever form it takes, they will be punished, these false teachers, these false prophets. God did not even spare the angels who sinned. He sent a flood upon a godless world in Noah's day. Sodom and Gomorrah were reduced to ashes. All of these were a warning to the godless of every generation of what God has in store for them when they're godless. One thing we can be sure of, no matter how severe the judgment of the false teacher, the deliverance of God's people is promised. Leave the punishment of the wicked with God. We don't look at it upon ourselves or take it upon ourselves. It is the Lord's doing, not ours. And as we continue to read, we find much that these wicked teachers are doing and will do. They will malign Christ's apostles. They will ensnare weak and compromising men and women. They'll promise them freedom, but in truth they're enslaving them in the habits that are corrupt. And you find that all throughout the second chapter of Second Peter. Now as we go into chapter 3, and chapter 3 is the final chapter of Second Peter, but as we go into this final chapter, we'll be learning of Christ's coming. We begin reading there at verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. 
This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Notice in verse 1 and 2, he talks of this second epistle that he's writing, wanting to stir up your pure minds by causing you to remember. He wants you to understand and be mindful to remember, to hearken back to the words that were spoken in the Old Testament by the prophets and of the commandments of the apostles that have been spoken, these apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He clearly places the holy prophets of the Old Testament on the same level of inspiration and authority as the apostles of Christ in the New Testament. Peter, in this two-verse couplet, is giving to us an emphasis of the inspiration of all Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so Peter, in these two verses, is putting that emphasis upon the Holy Prophets in the Old Testament and the Apostles of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in the New Testament time. And he goes on to say there in verse 3 and following, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now, we don't finish there, but we do pause there with the comma that follows the last word of the line. Notice that in this second epistle, Peter is wanting everyone to remember this promise of the second coming of the Messiah, the second coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants you and me, he wants all those that he wrote the letter to, to live in the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're living in that time of the blessed hope. And we're looking forward to the time of Christ's coming. But he goes on to warn us that we need to understand that before Christ returns, in the last days there's going to be scoffers. 
Now, scoffers are people that are lacking in faith. They are mockers. They refuse to receive the truth that God's given. They refuse to believe. Not only do they refuse to take it into their own heart, but they want to keep every other person from taking it into their heart as well. And so that's why they scoff. It's a public thing as well as private. And they walk after their own evil desires. These mockers, these scoffers, want things for themselves. They're not interested in doing what is right to help, to assist to do good for others. They don't want to do that. What they want to do is to take care of themselves and whatever, whatever is required for their lusts to be satisfied, that's what they do. And they say, verse 4, they say, where is the promise of his coming? Now think about that. Where is the promise of his coming? In the Old Testament, we have a promise of Christ's second coming. Let's go to Genesis and let's see what we find in verse, uh, well, in verses 1 through 6 of Genesis chapter 6. Now remember, we have Scripture in the New Testament telling us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. So here, let's look in Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here we are in Second Peter chapter 3. 
And we see the mockers, the scoffers, in the last days, in the latter days, in the days in which we live, I believe. And they're saying, the scoffers, the mockers, walking after their own lusts, are saying, where is the promise of his coming You know, it's been the exact same way since our forefathers died. Everything's continuing as it was from the beginning of the creation. When creation started it, that's been the same way ever since. Now, it's interesting, they're denying Genesis chapter 6 and the universal flood that we call the flood of Noah. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumpville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.